Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Picture Book Summit. Do you dream of creating picture books that will change a child's life? Of course you do. Learn how to find your voice at Picture Book Summit, a world-class online conference for picture book authors and illustrators. Join us on Saturday, October 3rd, 2020 for keynotes from our award-winning best-selling lineup, author-illustrator Sophie Blackall, author Lisa Klein-Ransom, and author-illustrator Peter H. Reynolds. Don't delay. Deadline to register is September 30th. Go to picturebooksummit.com slash winner. That's picturebooksummit.com slash winner. I was just talking to my collaborator, Barbara Perez Marquez, who's in Baltimore um, yesterday. I wonder um, if Barbara is who I met at the Baltimore Book Fest two years ago. I met someone mm. that um, is also one of the um, one of the authors in the Cardboard Kingdom. Oh, you know, I would guess it was her. She, you know, she does events and... Um, is she, we don't we, thought, we don't have a ton of East Coast folks, so oh, if you, yeah, so I just can't think of anyone else who would have. So if I met someone, it was probably Barbara. Yeah, <laughs> wonderful. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 619. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Thank you for listening. As always, you can support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Matthew C. Winner. Lots of good bonus content and a good book club there, too. Today, I'm joined by cartoonist Chad Sell, creator of the Cardboard Kingdom series and author-illustrator of Doodleville. In the world of Doodleville, doodles take on a literal life of their own. What you create might say a lot about you or your own personality, but how you deal with your doodles when they start playing by their own rules is a completely different story. Drew is a doodler, and she creates an entire world for her and her classmates' doodles to inhabit. She also creates a giant doodle, which she nicknames Levi. But Levi doesn't turn out to be what her classmates expect, and as Drew tries to undo her doodle, she unleashes a monster. Now Drew needs to figure out how to get things under control before Levi gobbles up or destroys everything the kids have worked so hard to create. It's an all-ages graphic novel sure to inspire doodlers everywhere, and one that will leave you looking differently at your sketchbook for sure. Please welcome my guest, Chad Sell, creator of the Cardboard Kingdom series and author-illustrator of Doodleville. I'm Chad Sell. I use he, him pronouns, and um, I am a cartoonist uh, who's best known for my books, uh, The Cardboard Kingdom and Doodleville. Welcome, Chad. I'm so glad you're here. And as I said prior to recording, I'm I'm a huge fan of The Cardboard Kingdom. And actually, what I did not say is, being a school librarian in Maryland, I'm also excited because uh, this coming school year, the Cardboard Kingdom is part of our State Book Award set of nominees for the graphic novel um, category. So oh, that's will, so cool. So it will be yeah. a book that will be in many libraries or I guess digital copies being bought if, if we're doing virtual school. Um, but it will be one that will be read and read intentionally by many, many children 
uh, across our state. And that's that's always a neat sort of unifying thing to have kids reading any of these 10 nominees that we have in the graphic novel category and having so such a concentrated group of kids talking about the same books. Yeah, I... I have been so delighted over the last um, two years since Cardboard Kingdom came out, uh, how many like state reading lists and things like that um, it's been part of. It is so cool to think of so many people. <laughs> and well, you know, I've been so impressed by the the infrastructure of educators and librarians who are all motivated in getting kids to read books that they like to read, there you know, you, um, you know, not books that you think that they should read necessarily. Um, it's not not preachy in that sense, but it, it seems like there are so many librarians who are so just like embracing the fact that kids love graphic novels and trying to make sure that good graphic novels get in their hands. Yeah. And I'm glad that they consider Cardboard Kingdom to be one of those. We started the, I was actually the the founding member of this graphic novel award and we started it maybe seven years ago. And part of the intention too was how can we help librarians uh, who do not read comics, but but know that their kids want to. How do we how do we help build sort of a starter collection? Where do we start by saying here are books that that um, are great for in this case the award is for students in grades four to six, but really hit on all different genres using the graphic novel format from mm-hmm. fantasy to you know suspense or or or, or memoir or whatever uh, and i think that over those years we've really built a really great representation of of titles and i was not on the selection committee for for this year but i was so impressed uh not only to see cardboard kingdom there but it's up against some other books that are just outstanding and even for those folks that have never read comics before kids or adults alike um these are books that i would say are wonderful as your first read comic you've never read a comic before here's a really great place to start uh and that that's saying something too just how outstanding the the format has really uh, reached into storytelling and just they're they're beautiful books i mean cardboard kingdom's a gorgeous book oh, thank you thank you i um yeah, I mean, we could go on and on and on about that, and we should later, because I know oh. <laughs> that there's more Cardboard Kingdom coming. But let's talk about what brought us together. Let's talk about Doodleville, uh, oh, which sure. is your, your author-illustrator debut. Um, it's it, it, it's about a band of children. It's about drawing. It's about doodles, and it's about things getting out of hand. Am I, am I doing a fair enough book talk? What am I leaving out? When you're talking about this book, how are you sharing it with other people? Um, I describe it as kind of exploring the full spectrum of creativity from the good to the bad. Um, the magic of bringing a character to life by drawing it, and maybe it literally springs to life out of your sketchbook, like in Doodleville, um, but also how our own insecurities and doubts and anxieties can kind of corrupt everything that we enjoy about art and creating and um, can threaten our entire self-esteem and our creativity and, and our interest in drawing or whatever kind of creative pursuit we have. You know, it's really, it's really as much as it is, is, is it, sorry, as much as it is about creativity, it's also about overcoming your own personal demons um, that come from judging your work and comparing it to others and um, doubting what you're capable of. Does that judging ever go away? And I'm, asking that semi-naively, but you are a really successful cartoonist. Um, do you still face that doubt? Like, was there sort of a meta level to making Doodleville that you're Absolutely. still questioning? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I, uh, Cardboard Kingdom, as we, I'm sure we can discuss, I wrote with 10 people. Yeah. You know, I had this whole team uh, to kind of support me, contributing amazing ideas and amazing writing and characters. Uh so that, you know, that was my first book. And, and, and I only made that book because I had a team of 10 people. So Doodleville, uh, which was written and drawn only by me, it felt really scary to make a book all by myself. And luckily, or for better or worse, all the doubts and insecurities I had in making the book helped fuel the main storyline of the main character's own insecurities and doubts about um, her own creations. So it, it was absolutely a very self-reflexive thing. And, and it's no coincidence that kind of one of the themes of Doodleville is that sometimes collaboration uh, is necessary to overcome the problems of your own creation. And, you know, it was very much kind of a, 
a callback and a lesson learned from making Cardboard Kingdom, <laughs> you know, that sometimes you need help uh, to to quell your demons. I that's a really interesting thing that that you as much as you'd love to say, this is my creation, this is my ownership to actually need need to work with someone else, not just hear their ideas, but to actually get in and work with them to overcome. Um, I love that you gave, well, the two qualities in here, Drew, uh, you, you allow to, to be constantly challenging herself to solve the problem herself. I got Mm. this. I can figure out how to solve this problem. Um, but I, I should back up for those that haven't read the book to say that in this book, when you draw things, they come to life. And Drew has this collection of doodles and the school goes on. The the group that she's in is going on this trip to an art institute and the doodles get out and go play amongst the works of art. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we get the impression that like <laughs> this kid um gets into this sort of trouble <laughs> frequently. Right. Yeah, she I tried to make it so that the protagonist Drew is not the best artist of her group. It's just that she her characters have kind of the most personality and tend to be the most mischievous. Whereas the the other kids all have their own characters that come to life whether they're superheroes or witches or super scientists, but they all kind of behave like you want them to behave. Uh whereas Drew's like you said, will go off and have a pillow fight in Van Gogh's bedroom, you know? Um, and so I I didn't, I wanted Drew's drawing capability to feel very approachable and accessible to young readers. Like nothing that she draws is beyond the realm of possibility of what you can draw yourself. I was actually just doing a virtual author event yesterday where I did a draw along of Drew's doodles, where um, I was showing step-by-step how to draw the doodles from Doodleville. And one of the unique things that a, a Zoom event can do is that all the kids could then hold up their drawing to the camera and yes. show me. And and it was so great. Like I just love seeing their little spins on the characters, whether it's just the funny way that they draw them, uh, their own unique way of just drawing and using line and shape. And then some of them add little embellishments, you know, a little mermaid tail or things like that, or little articles of clothing that, you know, it's, that are so whimsical and silly and funny and full of personality. The personality that you can't help but put into your art, I think yeah. ultimately ends up becoming what we call your voice as an artist, mm-hmm. doesn't it? But that children, you're right, even on a draw along are still working in those details because that's how our that's how our creativity expresses itself naturally. Um, that you could have the opportunity to see them showing their art back to you, I think is also an irreplaceable way to interact with readers that you don't get necessarily on a in-person author visit. Here you're getting a child reads your book or interacts with you, and they're able to take your work and, and give it back to you through their own lens. And I know that that's not something that that every author visiting a school is afforded the opportunity to see. So how great right. to be able to affirm that. It, you know, uh, it's, it's obviously, uh, obviously I, I wish kids could be in school and I wish that uh, there wasn't a raging pandemic through the country, yeah. but, but it, it has been one of those sort of lovely little blessings that, that has come about. Um, and, and I, I never expected it. Just the first author event I was doing, the kids just happened to be like, Oh, can I show you my drawing? And and it was like, oh, that is a thing that we can do. That's so cool. Um, so yeah, it's 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 been really really nice. It's a it's a great way to recharge and to see these characters in a new light. Um, and then of course to encourage them to come up with their own characters and their own doodles and and to create their own comics. Well, the kids in this book, much like the kids you're meeting, have such a confidence and assurance in the characters they're making they really we in reading this get the sense that they they really know their characters and they know how their characters will interact i'm thinking in particular about zenobia um Mm. who um the teacher is checking on zenobia and if i read um it goes how are things going for you zenobia great you know how the magical butterfly boyfriends have a lot to deal with right since they're both princes from two warring kingdoms 
And the teacher says, yes, drama. And Zenobia continues, well, I wanted to do something nice for them. So I drew this. Um, and <laughs> to have to have that relationship with your characters, but also to be affirming it through a story that a reader is reading just felt like holding up a mirror to kids. It just felt beautiful. And it also felt like, quite frankly, seeing the teacher character um, like like you were helping adult readers also understand this is how we can be with children. We can, <laughs> we can engage where they are and, and recognize that we're being, we're being invited into their world. Right. Well, you know, I, I think that I, as a young artist, I would come up with elaborate backstories for the characters I was drawing and, and come up with their rivals and their enemies and their love interests. And you'd have this whole backstory for the for how they got to be where they are, and and it's really, it's it's an act of vulnerability and like you said, confidence to share that and then to respond to it in an affirmative, positive, encouraging way, you know. And and so I, I wanted to to show that like the the art teacher is well aware of the, all the different backstories of, of all the different characters that his kids create, um, and he's excited about that and he loves it and and. Um, and like you said, yeah, the, Zenobia draws a cute beach for her uh, magical yes. butterfly boyfriends to go on a date, um, you know. <laughs> so it's it's it both makes a certain like logical sense within the framework that each kid is creating. But it's also completely silly and funny and and hopefully cute. It's I, I think it's adorable. And I think it also it's a really smart and powerful device in getting us to understand those children and sort of their in the moment they're driving motives by just having mm. us see here's who I created and immediately giving us the opportunity for, for sort of the yes. And if you will, mm. of like, and this is also a thing about them, which is also an expression of self. I thought that was wonderful. Hey there, book nerds. You know what's even better than hearing bookmakers share stories of how their ideas became the stories you love? Having those stories in your home, your classroom, your library, or your life to be enjoyed over and over. Bookshop.org allows you to purchase your favorite books from the show and support local bookstores while doing it. I even maintain lists of all the books shared each season, so it's easy to find what you're looking for. Visit MatthewCWinner.com and click on Shop, or use the link in the show notes to find your next favorite story. I wonder, Chad, do you, where do you come from in terms of working with children? And I'm saying that as a, mm. as a, I guess an awkward way of saying it really feels like you're a teacher or a person who loves being around children which is great in the children's book world, <laughs> but that's not always the case in the children's book world. I I love the affection with which you write and draw children. So I, I would love to know what what life was like prior to making comics, or maybe comics have been in your life all along, but, mm. but why write for children maybe is a better way to ask? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I, you know... I have been reading comics since I was a kid and, and drawing characters and making comics. Um, I don't have a, a much education background. Um, you know, I did some assistant teaching, some substitute teaching, and um, some like arts and crafts teaching over the years in, in various capacities. Um, but, you know, I when we were making Cardboard Kingdom, you know, the, the first book, I really hadn't regularly interacted with kids for a while <laughs> and so and none of my collaborators were parents uh, and so we you know i i was the the one thing i was really really nervous about is it was thinking did we are we calibrating our expectations of our reader wrong you know it, what they'll be interested in what they can follow we oh. just weren't sure but we you know the the focus for me is always to tell rich complicated compelling stories that respect the reader but that also try to make things as clear as we can just so that we're not unintentionally obscuring things uh, behind like details or real world things that the kids just don't aren't aware of. Um, so, you know, ever since Cardboard Kingdom came out, I've been fortunate enough to do school visits and virtual events and all kinds of things. And that has been really, 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 really great and really affirming. And to hear what the kids 
ask about and what they're interested in and to see their work uh, is really, really helps to inform like, oh, this is really resonating. Uh, yeah. This 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 makes sense. Or kids do not seem to understand this. <laughs> I, uh, and, yeah. yeah, that 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 makes perfect sense. And I think that I think that they're they're they're. I'm sure what I'm reading also is a quality of tapping into childhood, which is what yeah. we're all sort of called to do. Those of us that the right for children is to really th- think what were the things that I delighted in or that mattered to me? What were the stakes in, in my world? You were writing with 10 or you were making cardboard kingdom with 10 uh, writers. Was that was, was cardboard kingdom the first sort of proper project you were working on for children? Um, I don't well, know if maybe Doodleville that's... was like an idea you had all along, but right. cardboard kingdom yeah. came into it. Do you know what I mean? So, so yeah, both both Doodleville and Cardboard Kingdom, just as concepts, um, were ideas for books that I had like about ten years ago, and yeah. that I had been working on um, by myself. But you know, ten years ago, I just I didn't have the skills or the confidence yet. So um, I actually did, you know, I, I had I did sign an eight with an agent, a literary agent, ten years ago. So um, they're actually we did pitch Doodleville like about ten years ago. Um, oh, wow. And but it was a really different book. My uh, style was just like not very um, good for kids comics. I up till then I had largely done more serious uh, adult oriented comics. And so I just hadn't really learned how to draw in an appealing way for kids. Um, oh, that's so, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you had to sort of explore what, what finding the voice for that audience looked like in your art that that is a process that takes time obviously but to hear 10 years is something that is really helpful to know that you know sometimes stories just need to marinate and find their best form until yeah. it's the right time that's absolutely right um you know i i occasionally do like mentorship or portfolio reviews for young artists and i try to tell them you know like it can take a while to figure out what the story is. Like, mm. I think that creators like me, you create certain characters that really stick with you and that actually grow with you over your the development as an artist, but you don't necessarily know what form they'll eventually appear in, in, in any book, what their world will be like or what their, their story will be. Uh, and, but none of that time, none of those efforts in figuring that out are, are wasted. Um, yeah. You know, I, I felt like when I first tried to sell Doodleville 10 years ago and um, it didn't sell, I felt like that, like a huge failure. Like, did I just waste two years of my life? Um, but but it wasn't. It was figuring a lot of stuff out that eventually, once I had the right approach to the book, that all of that was like rich source material that I could draw from and I could take what worked and leave what didn't and create whole new solutions to, to those same problems. Um, so... It's it it's kind of a, a daunting thing to think that um, uh, it might take ten years for your idea to come to fruition. But on the same hand, nothing is wasted. It's all a process of honing your skills and um, your understanding as a storyteller of what works and what doesn't. And then and ultimately, what stays with you over the years is the heart of the story you're trying to tell. Yeah. Oh, I know that. That resonates. I like that. Chad, what? How did you find these 10 individuals to write The Cardboard Kingdom with? Um, on the internet. Uh, <laughs> I, nice! <laughs> th- this was around like 2015, I, th- I think, when I like had the submissions process. Um, in, in the world of comics, um, typically a write- someone who's, in- who's writing uh, comics, has, can, as they're getting their career off the ground it can often be kind of a struggle to find artists who are willing to draw your story. And I was an artist who wanted, who had this idea for Cardboard Kingdom, and I wanted to work with writers, but I also wanted to have a, a hand in shaping the stories as well. I didn't want someone just to hand me a script that I was then obligated to draw. Oh, yes. So, so I, I, I was, for a while, I just wasn't sure how to do that, how to make that happen. I, I'm someone who I hate... The, the thought of emailing a writer I would want to work with and, and saying, 
do you want to work with me? Will will you give this a try? It was like very scary to me. I, I tried to be very considerate of people's time and their efforts and their creativity. So that to ask anyone to do stuff um, was scary. But but this was around the time when Kickstarters and crowdfunding and crowdsourcing was really taking off. And there were, especially in the comics world, there were some really high profile anthologies and stuff that were bringing like-minded people together uh, to do really cool books. And that sparked the idea in me of, well, what if I had an open submission period for several months where I laid out my vision for Cardboard Kingdom and my whole arrangement for how people would work with me on it. And um, and so I, I promoted that everywhere I could online. Uh, at the time, I was doing lots of comic book conventions. So I was promoting this contest um, there too with like little informational postcards I would hand out to people. Um, and so as, as submissions would come in, I would have follow-up calls with some of the more exciting ones. And eventually I narrowed it down to 10 collaborators that I uh, wrote this book with. And then we're moving forward with more books together. That's so cool that that, that, that it worked in the opposite way I would have expected. I, I, um, I am aware of a lot of comics that have a writer and a different cartoonist, a different illustrator. Um, and I know that that is a, it must be special collaborations because that is an awful lot for an artist to draw and not, as you're saying, to just be sort of handed a script and say, here's the thing to draw. Although maybe there are cartoonists that like, they're looking for a different project and that's what they, that's where they are, or it's the right known author or who knows what circumstances work out. But to hear that in a sort of way you reverse engineered it by, by having, having this idea and and seeking out that team that could contribute voices uh, to make a cohesive story about a collection of children who build this kingdom out of cardboard and out of imaginative play. Um, but that each one could bring a unique voice to those characters is a, is a really cool thing. It really, it really worked out well. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, truly, like the whole experience felt really serendipitous and magical. Uh, just the experience of each story taking shape was so exciting. And I felt so much more confident in each story than I'd ever felt about my own work. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, like, because each story that I picked for the book was a story I thought was awesome and worth telling and that I couldn't wait to tell. Uh, whereas when you're creating your own story, I at least I certainly would rarely have that confidence. And so it, it was really such a crucial uh, uh, encouragement and 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 boon to me to to have such meaningful personal stories that the, the result that resulted from that process. Sure. And the 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 way it can be energizing to be working with someone else and to share that excitement over over the idea that they have and how um you feel things synergizing around those stories i think that that's that's really cool and to have each of these kids be part of this kingdom in a different way um from the professor using their knowledge to the huntress to the robot to my favorite character my absolute favorite character is jack the uh the sorceress in exile i think is the way that i always refer to jack oh that's funny i i one thing i wanted to make sure i i talked about with you and affirmed with you and part of the reason why i brought up zenobia's characters from doodleville is that you are if not the only you're one of the only folks I can think of in comics for children at the at the elementary school level that is uh, bringing in queer representation and doing it in such, I think, a beautiful and natural and sort of a this is just who I am kind of way mm. in the characters. Um, I find it brilliant and fantastic and I can't say enough about it. So to know to bring it back to the state book award to know that so many of our children will be reading this book and thinking, I wonder how many kids this will be the first time for them to see queer representation in 
uh, in a comic or um, just um, in in the case of of Jack, it's just like um, gender nonconforming imaginative play. Like mm-hmm. not to not to put anything uh, too heavy or make too many assumptions about Jack or on Jack's behalf, but rather just letting a kid have the space to explore what feels comfortable, what story do you want to tell, um, what what feels inviting and and safe and and appealing to you that space chad that's that's huge there's no way i'm going to be able to do it justice in trying to find the words right now but that's that's profound and huge to me and i really am so grateful that that you are bringing that to our readers well i really appreciate that um uh it's something that we really 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 wanted to carry through in the book and um in well in both books and, um, you know, I take it really seriously because I remember what a profound impact my early reading experiences had for better and worse in terms of thinking about queerness and representation and gender, um, that I'm well aware that even well-intentioned efforts can actually kind of backfire or people can kind of take the wrong thing from what you were trying to do. So we try to be really, really extremely thoughtful and sensitive and positive uh, in our representation. And, and in Cardboard Kingdom, in some cases, we very directly are exploring issues of identity. But then in some other cases, they, like, they, they're much more uh, subtle. Uh, it, like you said, just like that's how they are. And um, and we aren't even putting labels on it at this point, you know. Yeah, you're just um, allowing that space for it to be. But more importantly, I think to more importantly, I think is that you're you're just allowing space. Period. You're allowing identity to look the way that it wants to look, without pigeonholing it. And I'm saying it that way because I think that. I think that we have a tendency when we talk about identity in uh, at a young age, we have a tendency to, um, to, what am I trying to say? To like sexualize gender might mm. be the way to say it that way. That, that children exploring identity um, does not necessarily mean um, attraction or anything like that. It, it, or it could, it grades whatever, four or five, whatever it could. Um, but just leaving space to understand that families can look different and that kids can can have different experiences than what you have and allowing space for kids to play in that area and question in a safe environment uh, is something, well, if I'm going to just be straightforward too, is something that I did not have as a child as well, which might be why when a story does it well. It feels so potent to me. It feels so powerful, so necessary, um, so important for me to to center books like that in in my teaching programs. Well, thank you, thank you. I yeah, I don't I don't know what else to say. No, to I, you don't need to say anything else. <laughs> this is my chance to just <laughs> lay the flowers at your feet and just say thanks. Because there's kids, whether they get back to you or not, I, I, I know that that idea is not lost on you, that there are readers that this is something for them. This is the book they needed. And um, they might never, ever tell you that. Um, they might never even tell their librarian or their parent or whomever is in their life helping them connect with that book. They might never tell that person. Um, but but just to affirm that, that it's happening and that it matters. That's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, really hope that, like you said, that kids see themselves in the book in a positive way. And and also, like you said, that they also see the breadth of experience and expression. And so if if a classmate or a friend or family member is acting in a way that at first they might think is funny or strange or weird, um, that they just have a slightly broader framework within which to place that experience into context. Like, oh... Uh, my cousin is just kind of acting like Jack from Cardboard Kingdom, there you go. Um, and 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 it it seems more relatable and sympathetic, and um, like they understand it, and they they have a framework already in place for that. 
That understanding, that framework, I think pairs so beautifully back into Doodleville with something I wanted to make sure we talked about before we left, which is that um, ultimately Drew creates this giant snake-like character, a Leviathan, Levi, and and I think much like all the other doodles that she creates, she really feels like, this is the greatest, check out my doodle, isn't this Mm -hmm. wonderful, I can't wait for my doodle to play with the other doodles. And in this book, I should say for, again, folks that have not read the book yet, these doodles can transfer from paper to other flat surfaces. And so the characters do that the other kids create do have a chance to interact. And that becomes a central part of what's going on in this story. But to have, to have Drew create a character that other children perceive as a threat that turns into a situation that feels like it's getting out of hand in the only way she thinks to stop it, which is any way that I think any kid would think to get rid of a drawing that is not what they want it to be is to try to destroy it. Mm-hmm. But in trying to destroy it, she also is is tapping into to an emotion and an emotional drive that ends up um, bringing that Leviathan, Levi to be a threat to everyone um that (laughs) that entire arc of of what happens with that character but more importantly the way that that character is uh inextricably linked to drew that drew's failure to sort of get things under control is to her her failure as a Mm. as a person that's really heavy and and um, I'm I'm glad you went there with art as well as just with who we are and trying to reconcile who we are and what it means to other people. Thank you. Yeah, I I mean it doodle <laughs> I see people sometimes referring to doodle that Phil as like, oh cute. Like it's really cute. And yeah, absolutely <laughs> I intend for it to be cute and whimsical and fun. But but there it's very much interested in the idea of being consumed with guilt and, and doubt. And, and in Drew's case, it threatens to consume everything she's ever drawn, you know? Um, and I, what, you know, one worry I had in doing Doodleville is that maybe the dark Leviathan is a little bit too scary. Um, I tried to have one character make it super clear early on that because the dark Leviathan is a drawing, it can't, hurt the kids. So I tried to make it super clear that uh, the kids are not in physical danger from this monster that Drew has created, but but to make the emotional stakes very, very high. You know, yeah. like you said, Drew Drew created this creature and then accidentally corrupted it uh, because it wasn't acting the way she thought it should. And, and, and then the rest of the book, she's trying to figure out whether to try to defeat it or to try to tame it by yeah. by fe- like drawing by feeding it yeah <laughs> but then it just gets bigger um and yeah so it i i'm really as a storyteller i'm i i want to tell positive stories with the vast majority of its characters acting with the best of intentions but sometimes our own doubts or our misunderstandings of other people are what cause the conflict and the problems and the drama of my books um, and in in Drew's case, it's largely internal and based on what she thinks her friends are thinking about her, even though they're not, even though they actually want to help her and be there for her. She worries that they'll freak out when they find out what she's been doing. Um, and yeah, so it, it it's that's kind of the, the framework and guiding principle I try to have as a creator, N- generally not to have evil um, or mm. sinister characters, but rather to have it be about compassion and understanding, ultimately saving the day. You know, you've got all of the, we have a, a moment about halfway through the book, maybe where all of the children are like, well, we can just draw more characters. And then our teams of characters can just overtake this Leviathan. Um, and to have Drew go and, meet like one-on-one with each of these characters I thought helped with communicating her dynamic with each of those other children, but also gave space for her to process with these other children. 
her mm. her onus in this whole thing or also really the the amount of space that they were willing to give her um you know drew is a kid that they all know and so her doodles act in a certain way and so leviathan would act similarly and does i think at first the kids if i remember right even say like oh he's not menacing enough you right. call that a monster it's not even enough so really like you're asking me to create a thing and then blaming me when I do it. <laughs> um, but the, the, the moments of, of meeting with those other children and trying to come up with a plan together while, while Drew really is internalizing everything and not, not giving herself the grace or, or the allowance to, to work with other people and to allow, to allow a problem that affects everyone to be a problem that everyone solves together, uh, I thought was was really interesting. I um, also thought that um, <laughs> first, I also thought that Beck looks a little like you from the drawings I've seen you do of I've, yourself. <laughs> I've heard of that. Yes, I've heard that. <laughs> but um, but I think also probably all of these characters are, are a little bit of you and a little bit not of you because that's yeah what we do in our art. Um, to I wanted to mention that in the the threat of making clear that the kids weren't going to get hurt. I also noticed you do that with the kids' characters, that it's very, very clear that they care about these characters. We don't mm-hmm. see a lot of character generation in this book, and we definitely don't see much of like the characters going away. So we also, these doodles also feel like they're threatened too. So when you have a moment when uh, Leviathan eats a doodle, but but we are reassured that I think that character's still okay because here's the proof of it. Um, I don't want to give away stuff, but to have to be able to have that that logic work out that like here's how I can assure you that like <laughs> this is not a beast that well it's not going to hurt the kids but it will devour and destroy every one of the doodles <laughs> was was something that was reassuring. I'm gonna have to. Um, I'm going to have to maybe pump the brakes on talking about this book because I can feel myself going into now. Let me talk about the entire end of the book and how I thought it just worked out beautifully. Um, but maybe I'll just say it that way that I'm, I'm glad that you, it didn't feel Chad, like you were rushing in this story. It felt like there was enough space for Drew to really have a long arc for her to, uh, to, to explore herself and her relationship to other people and these doodles, but also in having that time <laughs> to allow Leviathan to get massive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I'm grateful that, that this is the book that turned out and that it wasn't whatever it was 10 years ago. Cause this, um, this has a lot of really strong craft in it. And, and I know it, it it's going to mean a lot to a lot of kids. So thanks for sharing it with us, Chad. Yeah. Thank you so much. Do you want to, before we go, can you tease anything at all about the Cardboard Kingdom's sequel? Yeah, I mean, so the, I kind of, so we had always intended Cardboard Kingdom just to be a standalone project. The idea of doing a book with 10 people in this way was so outside the norm that it was a miracle that we ever made it. And so that that was sort of kind of the summation of our ambition. Um, <laughs> but um so once we had finished Cardboard Kingdom and sold it, uh, then I pitched Doodleville, and and that was a two, you know, started out started out off as a two book series uh, with Knopf, and then they then Cardboard Kingdom was doing well, and and they were like, oh wait, but what about more Cardboard Kingdom? And um, I was excited to um, to make more, and actually it was some of the first reviews of Cardboard Kingdom that sparked ideas for sequels. Like seeing other people respond to the book helped me understand what the book was about and where it could go. Oh, that's so and cool. Yeah, no, it was really just like a light bulb moment. It was really, really just, again, serendipitous and How and the readers connected with the book that you made yeah. started to inspire or inform what, where you could go next with it. That's really cool. Yeah, you know, you, you spend so long working on a book and we had sunk every ounce of creativity and, and our character ideas and story ideas into the first book that if you had asked us right, right after we had finished book one to do another book, we would have come up empty. 
Um, so having a year away from it as it got printed and everything, um, and then seeing people respond to it and, and sum up what the book was about better than I ever could, uh, really just gave me so much perspective. And, and I'm going through that now with people responding to Doodleville as I work on the sequel. So, so all of that is to say that I have kind of an unusual plan for the next few years where both Doodleville and Cardboard Kingdom are ongoing series. And Wonderful. each year I'll switch between the two with a new release. So Doodleville came out this year. Book two of Cardboard Kingdom will be out next year, I think next summer. And um, it's called Cardboard Kingdom, The Roar of the Beast. And it we kept the same creative team and the same cast of kids. Uh, and it is a few months after book one as the kids are getting ready for Halloween. Uh, I I came up with this like seasonal shifting idea with Cardboard Kingdom with its sequels. Um, it was I really love the idea of seeing all these kids in a new light with kind of upgraded costumes, and um, the obviously the Halloween as a holiday to center it around just felt really really natural for Cardboard Kingdom since it's all about costumes, and uh, it we tried a very different approach with book two, and I, I'm really excited about it, but I'm also it was a lot of work and I'm a little bit nervous, <laughs> but, but um, whereas book one of Cardboard Kingdom had kind of self-contained chapters that would kind of link organically together. Right. Um, uh, book two of Cardboard Kingdom is a giant, like coherent storyline with a huge ensemble cast and it's a mystery. <laughs> so it is, it is wild. Amazing. Um, and you got 10 people and you, so 11 People wrote an ensemble story <laughs> mystery. This, this, this intricate is mystery. It was <laughs> it was wild. Um, so uh, that that'll be out next year. Really excited about it, and um, and it was great to kind of focus on different characters and to deepen everything that we explored in book one. Uh, really, just a magical experience. And then I'm working on book two for Doodleville right now book for one of 2022 yeah yeah that, that ends on kind of a cliffhanger and yeah. um so book two explores all the ramifications of what happens at the end of book one oh. um and and yeah i'd like to keep both series progressing for me it's been really creatively energizing to go back and forth between collaborative and solo books and they help inform each other um and yeah, it, it's just been a really great process, and I'm excited about the years to come. I would imagine for the for the creativity process to go between doing your own work and the perspective of working with ten other people would be a really beautiful balance. As opposed to, I guess it probably works for some people, but to be able to just be only working by yourself all the time, maybe with the help of critique partners. But in this case, you're directly collaborating with a group of writers uh, and then bouncing between doing your own. I'm sure you're doing a billion drawings a day, <laughs> but you're making books, which is great. <laughs> yeah. You know, as you sort of come to understand your own limitations and what keeps you creatively fertile and thriving, um, you know, I, I've gotten really good about managing my workload. So nice. like as I'm drawing one book, I'll often be planning or, or writing the next book. So um, so throughout drawing Doodleville book one, we were writing Cardboard Kingdom, Cardboard Kingdom of the yeah. Beast, um, you know, having conference calls and emails back and forth and collaborating on scripts. Um, so you're it, going it, between writing and drawing. That's interesting that you're not like drawing two things at the same time. You're working correct. sort of both sides of the storytelling angle in tandem, but on different stories. That's really interesting. I like it. Yeah, that's that's what works for me. Yeah. Cool. Well, great. well, I'm glad that it works for you, and more glad that um, it means more books. Um, I, I I'm, I'm excited for. I guess I'm excited for the next time we talk and being able to say, <laughs> here's how my readers are interacting directly with your books. That'll be oh, fun absolutely. to share. But before then, I want to close our time together, Chad. Well, thank you. First, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. This was an amazing discussion. I really appreciated it. I appreciate your time. And I want to make sure that um, we do have an opportunity for you to send a message directly to those children, knowing that... Um, knowing that it's important that we, we find our, ourselves connected, but also that 
that now that I know that that your readers are are in some way directly informing or influencing or inspiring future stories, that's a beautiful thing. So why don't I end with, I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning, Chad. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? Sure. All of my books are a celebration of your creativity. Cardboard Kingdom is about making cool stuff out of cardboard. Doodleville is about bringing your characters to life by simply drawing them. I want all of that to feel like something that you can do and to tell your own stories or transform yourself into whatever kind of amazing magical character you want to be. Um, yeah, <laughs> does that sound good? That's basically kind of what I try to make all of my school presentations be about, about turning it on to the kids and telling them that you can do this too. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by me, Matthew Winner, in my library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 600 episodes at matthewcwinner.com. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the free music archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and don't reflect the ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Become a patron and you can directly impact and help to sustain the podcast. Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that is a very good thing indeed. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.